Hey, welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug. I'm a pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington. Spirit-led, affirming, beloved congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Growing closer to and more like Jesus for the sake of the world. If you'd like to learn more about faith, go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. And I want to thank you for tuning in today. So how many of you have ever gone to the fridge to get some milk for your cereal and you realize that the expiration date on the carton is like a week ago? And you have that moment and thinking, uh-oh, is the milk still good? All right, folks, how do you find out? You give the smell test, right? You unscrew the lid, you open the carton, you lean over, you take a quick whiff. Now, it's not totally foolproof, but the smell test is a tried-and-true method for figuring out if the milk is still drinkable or if it should be dumped down the drain. I'll bet some of you just put it back in the fridge for someone else to pour down the drain. But that's beside the point. What I'm talking about here is the smell test. Now, if you know me, you also know that I'm a Bible junkie. I love the Bible. I drink this stuff for breakfast. I'm even getting near the end of another summer of reading the whole Bible in 90 days. I've got about 10 days to go. Now, let's be honest. Part to the Bible smell funny. Sometimes the Bible says things that are out in left field that are, frankly, more than seven days past the expiration date printed on the carton, if you get my meaning. Take slavery, for instance. Please, take it away. Yet in today's reading, the Bible talks about slavery like it's no big deal. What are we supposed to do about that? Well, before we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, I want to review some basic tools for how we read the Bible, including the smell test. So grab your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and let's begin. And let's begin with a beautiful prayer that's in the Bible about God's Word. It's Psalm 119. It begins at verse 129. Take a deep breath and let's pray. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression, that I may obey your precepts. May your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Amen. Yeah, I love me some Bible. That's why I want to talk about this stuff. I've known too many people over the years who gave up on the Bible. They, they tried it once. They got hung up on a passage they didn't understand or they were fed some bad milk by a pastor or a neighbor or a Facebook meme. That's why I want to refer, offer you today something different. I want to offer you some good milk, some refreshing, healthy, hormone-free, ice-cold scripture. And I want you to be able to drink it in, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So to get ourselves ready to whet your appetite, let's begin with talking about what the Bible says about itself. What does the Bible say about itself? Here are five things. First, the Bible calls itself the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
There's a scholar named Peter Enns who argues that the Bible is less of a rule book and more of a wisdom book. It isn't designed to give us all the right answers, but rather to make us ask all the right questions. I like that. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible also claims to be a living word. Hebrews chapter 4.12 describes the Bible as a double-edged sword that's, that's sharp enough to cut through our defenses to get to the heart of the matter. The Bible um, is like that really good friend or counselor who calls you on your BS, makes you honest with yourself. That the more that we read and know the Bible, the more the Bible knows and reads us. It's a living word. It's a conversation, a dialogue, a relationship. It's the word of God. It's a living word. And it's the story of faith. It's a record of the relationship between God and God's people. The Bible includes material that's meant to inspire and encourage faith, like it says in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's a story of faith meant to encourage faith. It's also the story of faith that, that puts up some caution signs for us. That, that, and this is the fourth thing. It warns us of difficult road conditions ahead, showing us that the life of faith is hard, that there are consequences when we lose faith, when we give up, give up when we go off the rails, when we grasp for human power instead of receiving God's grace. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. How much of the stuff of the Old Testament happened and was written down to be examples for us today, to show us the consequences of disobedience to God's commands for the purpose of inviting us to learn from our mistakes, to stay on the road, to follow a more righteous path. And the fifth thing that the Bible says about itself is that, well, it says that Jesus is the word of God with skin on. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that, that Jesus is the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The truth will set you free, the Bible says. The problem is that people are really good at making the truth whatever suits them at the time. And that's why Jesus is the word of God with skin. Jesus is the Bible's smell test. Because if the truth sets us free, well, Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And so the truth will always smell like Jesus. And if it don't smell like Jesus, you're not dealing with the truth. You're probably dealing with sour, expired, or tainted milk. Okay, maybe that's a little weird. Let's get on to this conversation about slaves and masters in Ephesians 6, and hopefully it all makes sense. All right, it says in verse, uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, beginning at verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor with, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both ma their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I'll be honest, if I'm preaching a series on the book of Ephesians, if I'm teaching a series on the book of Ephesians, if I'm encouraging somebody to read the book of Ephesians, it's attempting to just skip over this passage. And really, for most of us, most of the time, that's just fine. It's okay to skip over or, or skim through passages that, that don't really seem to fit, that don't really make a lot of sense. Uh, in some ways, it's the best way to keep from spoiling the rest of the message of this letter. It's an amazing message in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul spends the first four chapters of this letter telling the Ephesians about the grace and power of God in Christ Jesus that breaks down divisions, that saves us from our sin. It's by grace, through faith, apart from works of the law, so that no one may boast. We are, in fact, each one of us, slave and free, created in God's image. Each human being is God's poema, God's masterpiece, God's work of art. And as Christians, then, we're called to foster Christ-like character, marked by humility and gentleness, love, peace, and unity. Christian community, he writes, is to be marked by the same peace and unity, identifying and encouraging the varied gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest in each and every person to build up the church, to grow to maturity, a light to the nations, a foretaste, a sign, and an instrument of God's mission to reconcile all of creation through Jesus Christ to himself. It's all gift. And we have this calling today, and we have this hope for tomorrow. This is good news. And then Paul takes a stab at trying to relate this good news to everyday life. He ends his sermon the way I often do, with some takeaways. And he offers these takeaways as applied first to marriage, second to parenting, and the third, this one, to the workplace. And he uses a specific example of slaves and masters. Now, slavery happens to be the water Paul swims in. And I think, honestly, it's just fair to say that it didn't occur to Paul to challenge the social and economic norm of slavery in his day, any more than he was interested at that time in challenging the social norms of how women and children were viewed in first century Roman and Jewish culture. Now, this doesn't fully excuse Paul, but I'll say this, the use of this passage over the centuries to justify slavery, including slavery here in the United States well into the 20th century, well, that's not on Paul. That's on us. Don't get mad at Paul for being a product of his environment 2,000 years ago. Get mad at powerful people over the centuries who, who consciously misuse the word of God to perpetuate their power. So let me say, for the record, slavery is a bad thing. And in fact, God opposes all forms of human slavery. Slavery is an outdated, smelly, old economic system that thankfully, most all of us agree, is no longer a good idea. For most of us, slavery has thankfully gone the same way as other historical norms, like the flat earth theory, a 6,000-year-old planet, hamstringing horses, polygamy, patriarchy, capital punishment, and the prohibition of bacon. Slavery rightfully offends modern-day sensibility. It should. It is out of step with the Bible message then, and it certainly is out of step with the Bible message today. Genesis 1, after all, declares that all people are created by God in the image and likeness of God, regardless of gender, race, or nationality. 
And then the next four books of the Old Testament, what Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these are dedicated to one story, the story of how God emancipates an entire nation of slaves. God is opposed to the slave owner, Pharaoh, and whoever owns slaves who belittles and oppresses God's people, created in God's image. God opposes Pharaoh and shows God's self to be a God of liberation and freedom, opposed to all human systems of power and oppression. Then you go on through the scripture. Holy, the Holy Spirit then begins to speak through the prophets, announcing that God would send a savior, a redeemer, a Messiah who would proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to those who are oppressed and in bondage. Jesus comes then to set us free from all forms of slavery, human slavery, sex trafficking, and slavery to our, the behaviors and beliefs that enslave us. Things like sin, greed, human systems of oppression. God opposes slavery at every turn. Jesus came to set us free from sin, to set us free from our bondage. And the Bible says so. Even if this particular passage in Ephesians doesn't say so, the reality is that not every passage in the Bible says all the things. The point is that the Bible is the ongoing, still-being-told story of God and God's people. And it isn't finished yet. It doesn't benefit us to edit out or gloss over our mistakes. No, we need this passage in the Bible to show us what doesn't work, what we've tried in the past. How else can we learn and grow from our mistakes? To be a biblical community of faith today is to join in a journey that's been going on for centuries to enter into the conversation and and admit that we are still learning, that we're still making plenty of mistakes, that we still have all sorts of blind spots, that we encounter slippery slopes and inconvenient truths, and all that's okay. It's how it was made to be. God can handle it, and God believes in you and me. We all lose heart sometimes. Yet by the grace of God, we persevere. That's what it means to be Christian community. That's what it means to be a people of the faith. Now let me leave you with three ideas for the coming week, uh, ways to understand or interpret this passage for us. The reality is we can glean some good and helpful stuff from this reading. Think about it, if Paul were writing today, he wouldn't talk about slaves and, and, and slave owners. He'd talk about maybe bosses and employees and how we should go about our business. He might talk about the workplace. He might say that employees, you know, they ought to respect their bosses. They ought to work hard, do their best, even when no one's watching. He might talk about taking pride in their work, no matter what the job is, whether they're flipping burgers or grading papers or picking fruit or preaching a sermon, whatever it is that we do, that we do it to the honor and glory of God. It's not just a paycheck. It's an opportunity to bless the world. Um, And so we don't demean ourselves and we don't compare ourselves to somebody else's job. We do the work and we do it to God's glory, whatever it is. Likewise, he would say, hey, bosses, treat your employees with dignity and respect. Pay them a fair wage. He'd remind us, bosses, that, that your job is not to make money. You've been entrusted with resources and skills, not because you're such a great person, but in order to benefit society. You have, there's a greater responsibility that you have 
to use that which has been given to you to serve others. Your job is to create an environment in which your employees can succeed. He didn't earn your privilege. It's all a gift from God. So we can learn some things from Paul about our workplace values. I think, second, we ought to be slow. I just want to encourage you to be slow to judge the scriptures too harshly for not lining up with 21st century North American values. While some things are out of date, the fact is the Bible still runs circles around the rest of us with its ethical standards of justice, of mercy, of honesty, human dignity, love, kindness, wisdom, and all the rest. And for most of us, anything that we know about how humans should live. We literally first learned it from the Bible. The Bible was written and given to the whole world for all time, and not just for a few of us at a certain place and time. Some of it is dated, true enough, but at the heart of it, it still smells sweet. At the heart of it, it still calls us to be more to be the people that we were created to be. And third, let's come back around to the smell test. This week, you're reading the Bible, maybe. Maybe you're reading an article in the paper or listening to a podcast, or you're trying to figure out a course of action or trying to determine how you should uh, treat another person. And ask yourself, does it smell like Jesus? Then do that. And if it doesn't smell like Jesus, Move right along. You know, the old version of the smell test was those, uh, those rubber band uh, bracelets that we had back in the 90s, the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? That's really the smell test. What would Jesus do? If it, if it smells like Jesus, do it. If it doesn't, then move right along. And here's what, I, what I've learned, is that the more we read the Bible, the more we can recognize the aroma of Christ. And the more familiar we become with the aroma of Christ, the better we become at avoiding the bad milk. (laughs) What does Jesus smell like? The Bible tells us. He smells like love and patience and kindness. He smells like peace and unity and maturity and faith. Do these things, the Bible says, and you will live. And the sour milk? That's easy to identify as well. Ephesians lists them plain and simple. Things like unwholesome talk. Bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, and malice. The aroma of Christ. Jesus smells like liberation for those who are enslaved, good news for the poor, empowerment of women, hospitality to the stranger. He smells like a hot cup of coffee on a cold morning and like ripe blackberries on a humid August afternoon. The aroma of Christ It smells like home. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Hope you'll check out our website, www.faithshelton.org, to learn more about the God of Jesus Christ or to get connected to the uh, beautiful and broken, flawed and forgiven community called Faith Lutheran Church. You can sign up for weekly emails, like us on Facebook, subscribe to the Worship Cafe or this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can give a financial gift to the ministries and people of Faith Lutheran Church. 
I want to thank uh, Chaz and Emily for their production work every week. I want to thank the people of faith for their, for their prayers, for their encouragement, for their work, and their presence in the world. Hang in there, folks. And I'll leave you all with this benediction. Benediction is a fancy word, just means a good word. So here's a good word for each of you today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.